Hey guys, welcome back to Indie Talks on Pixel Response. As always, I am Paul, and with me is Nathan. Hello again. That took a while. You okay? Yeah, I know. I was like, should I just say hi? Or, yeah, sorry. You just hey, couldn't, you couldn't decide what the hell you were doing? I know. I know. All just, right. Just don't. Just roll. Just roll. Okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> you threw See, me I off. told you, I'm like bad at this sometimes. <laughs> Whatever. Hey, we're joined by Kyle Pulver. He's a real game developer from the PAX Prime. That's where we saw him. Yeah. Um, hi, Kyle. <laughs> hey. hey, what's up? Um, You had not one but two games at this past one, right? In the Mega Indie booth? Or was there more hidden in there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, one was in the Indie Mega booth, and the other one was in the PAX 10. Yes, yeah. Right. Uh, Offspring Fling, PAX 10, and then... So it's not really a competition of any kind, right? It's more just like, hey, everyone's having a good time. We're oh, you mean the PAX ten? 10? Like, is there a voting for like the the number one or no? Uh no. It's like once you get into the PAX ten, that's the highest you can go. Okay. Like, okay. Everyone's a winner. Did you apply for Snapshot to be in there too, or? Uh, actually, Snapshot was in the PAX ten the year prior. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, I missed <laughs> that one. I wasn't even at that PAX, so that's that's why I didn't know that. That's my excuse anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Roll with that one. Yeah. 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 Um, but you're okay. Like you're also part of Indie House in Arizona, Phoenix, yeah. Arizona. Yeah. Okay. Um, what's the current status of that whole? Thing? It, it's it's not anything crazy, right? It's just for Nathan. Maybe explain what Indie House is for people. Listening. I don't know if I'm the person to explain it, but okay. <laughs> as, as far as I know, there you are brought two it couples. up. Yeah, two couples living together in a house and they're making indie games full time, and that sounds great. Mm-hmm. Is that? More or less. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Um, so let's see. Yeah, so like the whole cusp of a of an indie house is kind of expanded. Um, okay. And it was sort of like uh, we started indie house um, just for our house in Arizona, and then uh, our friends uh, Alec Coloca, Matt Thorson, Chevy Ray, uh, they started up a house in Vancouver. So they're indie house Vancouver. And then I think there's like uh, Terry Kavanaugh and uh, some other people are out in Cambridge, I think, and okay. they have they have an indie house out there. So it's just like any group of uh, independent game developers all living together, I think, qualifies as a as an indie house. Um, okay. Are you guys yeah. first or? I I don't know. I mean, we've <laughs> we've been all living together for a long time, but I'm sure the concept of a bunch of like game developers living together in order to like you know, divide costs and uh, get by on a lower income is probably, we're probably not the first of that idea. Okay. I'm just wondering, is there like any kind of like, not, not as officious as this, but like board of directors that officially grants the indie house name upon a new indie house or is it just like start (laughs) calling yourself an indie house? So you have to apply for the indie house license in order to operate? And then you get to call yourself as such. If not, you're an unlicensed, unofficial indie house. (laughs) Yeah. I think it goes like there's like a council of like Jonathan Blow and the guy that made Cave Story and a couple other people, <laughs> and they have to approve it. It's a really long oh, process. Yeah. Oh, okay. Especially with Jonathan Blow as a board of directors member, man. Yeah. Huh. All right. Well, so <laughs> that just kind of organically came together. Like that. That sounds pretty cool. Like, how long has that been? How long has this been the situation? Like, I, I'm not really clear on when I first listened to that podcast. Like when that was recorded. Where yeah, Al Coloco was interviewing you guys, but yeah. 
Um, so yeah, the, yeah, I guess our first thing was that we did the podcast with Alec and then we started, we started to do our own podcast like a few months ago. And then we were all, uh, when the holidays came up, we were all like divided, like throughout the world, essentially like Steve and Aaron were in Sweden. And then I was, I was in New York with Corey. And so we didn't record anything for a while. And then we actually didn't all get back to the house until pretty recently. So, um, okay. we will be recording new, uh, podcasts soon, but I started, let's see, this house in particular, so, like, Steve owns the house, and um, I moved into the house in, uh, I think it was, like, April or May of 2010, mm-hmm. I want to say, and then, uh, so then it was just, it was actually just me and him in the house for a while, um, and it was sort of me living there because I was trying to make it as an indie game developer still, and it was, like, almost completely broken, so he gave me a break. <laughs> Okay. And and then uh, he was working on shadow physics at the time. And then, uh, and then I think like a year or so later, Aaron moved in. uh, And then a few months after that, my girlfriend, Corey moved in uh, and they're both working on their own, uh, their own like game projects now. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And like, do you all kind of pitch in and help each other on all these? Like I'm noticing a lot of similar names show up. Like Al Coloca did the music in offspring fling. I noticed today. I was like, Oh, Okay. Like everyone seems to kind of know each other and help each other. Is that kind of happening within the house too? Or do you guys kind of keep some distance from each other's projects or I don't know, um, play testing and I'm not sure what else. Yeah, no, I think it's definitely helpful to have other people in the house that like, you like understand certain things that you can ask them questions or like, uh, there's lots of like, so I'm, I'm the only person in the house that's not using unity. <laughs> So, okay. but, uh, everyone else is, and so they, they're, they're constantly like trying to fix each other's bugs and stuff, uh, in unity. Um, but as far as like playtesting goes and just general feedback, there's, there's a lot of that, you know, just asking about like, Hey, what do you think of this? And then just getting some feedback on it. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's as far as like the, the whole like indie scene goes, like everyone is always helping each other out. I mean, like I, I've been friends with Alec for a couple of years and he's always been able to make music that matches my games really well. So I just always, went to him for music and he's always able to just like jam out a tune that matches the, the game perfectly every time. Very cool. Yeah. I, th- I guess like we're kind of noticing that with the indie developers here in Calgary too, like Calvin and uh Vieco and Mike are all friends and mm-hmm. a bunch of the random people we met at the game jam that I can't remember their names now. So I feel real <laughs> bad about that, <laughs> but I mean, you would probably be better at that Nathan since you actually spent time with them at the game jam. Uh, there is Scott, who I spent the most time with, and Rob is a person. Okay. I, I don't know. There was a lot of people there. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, like, I guess everyone seems to kind of be aware of each other somehow at some point, which is kind of cool. So Indie House Calgary coming soon? Maybe. Probably but, not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I was actually, like, just in light of giving feedback and stuff, like, through doing these, I definitely start getting, like, a little really apprehensive about like being critical like how do you delicately give feedback to someone when it's like it's like one person like they made this game all of it and when they're a nice person that's the worst too yeah like how do you (laughs) give feedback without kind of being like i don't want to crush any like you're doing good you know like i don't know it's just like especially in light of some recent stuff with like game jam products and whatever like it's like like or something i made too it's like it's kind of terrible to be completely fair we're not talking about you kyle specifically yeah, okay. in this <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i was getting really nervous oh, okay sorry <laughs> no. but 
Um, <laughs> how do you delicately crush someone's dreams yeah, as we're talking to somebody? Someone really terrible what they do. I just don't. <laughs> no, no. Like, ha- like where it's helpful, and, you know, constructive without sounding too negative, I guess. It's just, it's just been something I'm becoming more and more self-conscious about as we do more of these. Just like, I need to, I don't know, lighten up or something. I'm not sure. Well, but No, I think that's actually, it's, it's really hard to give good feedback. Um, and, and I think like maybe the way that I try to do it is um, try to like suggest what could be changed to like help their, like if it's like a game to like help the game or whatever. And like, I also have to keep in mind that like the way that I look at games and the way that I play games and what I like in games is very particular to me. Right. So I, I try to always keep that in mind. Like, you know, it's not, it's not like a totally objective thing. It's usually pretty subjective, but um, yeah, I mean, I usually, I usually only offer feedback if people ask for feedback. Cause usually like, I don't know. I find that people that if you do, if, <laughs> in, in my past experiences, giving feedback to people that don't necessarily like want feedback at that time, uh, it's not the most elegant thing to do. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. But like at, at points, there are people like looking for feedback, and at that point, you should be just as like explanatory and honest as possible. Or like, what would you? Yeah, yeah, I would say like if you can think of some like a suggestion at least to like steer them in the direction that you think would help, and not just be like, "Hey, like the player is red and that sucks," and it's just oh, like, <laughs> yeah, like, just like well, that I like it's this like, color, like that, doesn't yeah. Matter. It's okay. more like, oh, like if the player was yellow, they would stand out more against that background and lead to, you know, greater visibility for players that are, you know, interacting with their game. And it's like, oh, okay, I see your point. Mm-hmm. Instead of just being like, hey, that color sucks or whatever. Right. Yeah. It probably helps that for you giving feedback on a game or something, you are able to offer those suggestions. Like for Nathan and I, we're just kind of critical. And it's like, well, what have you done? Like, oh, well, no- <laughs> nothing. I, or, I talk on the like, internet. Really broken game jam game. So do yeah, that. Like, like I I write and talk on the internet. It's like oh, so you, you, what you're saying is you're not qualified to give me any feedback and on my game. It's like oh, I get I guess not. Sorry, sir. But like, I play <laughs> games, but uh, whatever. Yeah. that doesn't mean much. I don't know. Like I, I I think when I was playing games when I was younger, I was like super critical, and that's what like a lot of that like drives my own work. You know, like I don't let. Like I try, to, I try to keep my work like pretty, I guess, polished. I would say, yeah. Um, just because like I w- I'm looking at it as if I were 12 year old me playing some game and calling it garbage or something. <laughs> right. So like, with your knowledge of how to make games and stuff now, does that make you more or less critical of other people's games? I guess. Um, I think I think with the knowledge of making games and how hard it is to make a game, I've become more chill. <laughs> Where it's like, I don't want to just like give someone super harsh feedback because I know how much work they probably put into the game. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but at the same time, like if they're looking for feedback and they want to improve, then I, then it's, it's important for me to give feedback to help them out. Yeah. You know? Right. So like say infinity ward comes to you and they're like, listen, Kyle, yeah. uh, I mean, our modern warfare games have been doing great, <laughs> but we would like your feedback. Like, are you overly critical because they're kind of like bland and the same formula over and over? Or are you just like, no, dude, you guys are selling. That's good. Are Are you kind of like, <laughs> once it gets to a big project, does that still stay true? Or at that point, is it more? I don't know. Understand? Yeah, I don't, that's a that's a tough question because like it's like my first thought is like, would I even care? 
if, if they wanted me to give feedback on Mark, because like, as far as I'm concerned, every first person shooter game has been terrible since Unreal Tournament 2004. So, uh-huh. <laughs> okay, that I don't know if I would completely I don't agree know what with criteria, you, but like, that's subjective, right? So I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah, you're I, right. Just, I like to throw that out there just as a shocking statement. Um, <laughs> okay. No, but as far as like a big project goes, it's even tougher, right? Because then it's like who are you giving feedback to? And then that person has to give feedback to their people. And then those people have to give feedback to their people. And then it's like that change has to like cascade through the ranks of the team. And like, they need like a really good producer to, to, to like respond to feedback and stuff. Right. Yeah. I guess when you get to that point, you have people specifically hired and make making money to receive feedback and probably yeah, and they have systems. Out. Yeah. Like for that. And I don't know. Yeah. Okay, so I have to ask, why Unreal Tournament? Is is it just something that you like like playing growing up or something? Or well, yeah, I mean, Unreal Tournament 2004, I think is like my favorite FPS game, and I was like, at the time, I was like really excited to see where FPS games were going to go, right? And because like it's like a super fast paced game, and like you can like do all these crazy moves with like dodge jumping and wall like you dodge off a wall and double jump after the dodge and like you're flying around the map and you're it's totally awesome just to get into the flow of playing this game um and i still play it today (laughs) and uh then like fps games started to go down the route of like getting slower and like more of a simulation like more of like a simulator i guess of like and yeah that was not my style and i just got i got more and more disappointed as like these games sold more and more and it was becoming pretty clear that like the era of the twitch shooter was totally done and like now all that's left is like quake live and shoot mania which has a long way to go yeah for sure i mean i grew up with quake 2 one of my first handles that i was known on the internet when the internet was a new thing was happy Killmore, and that was from my <laughs> from my quake 2 uh team name nice. and i miss the days where you would like if you took half a second too long you were dead because that railgun man yeah, it, it gets you every time. But it's yeah. like future sport type territory or something. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, those it, games were... yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. No, I was saying, man, those games were fast. Yeah. And I, I like them because they seemed to put a lot of stake into just like your skill. And there wasn't there wasn't like too much randomness. Like the only randomness I can think of in like a Quake or Unreal Tournament game is like if you're using like the shotgun or the flat cannon. And there's right. like a random spread, and that just depends on how far away you are. So that's kind of you can balance it out by not using those weapons from far away. Right. Um, but yeah, it's like these great moments that I still experience today when playing the game, where it's like, where it's like, oh, this guy jumped off a he jumped off a launch pad. He's like flying through the air. I shot like a the shot core into the air where I thought he was going to be, and I like I shot comboed him. He flew in the air. I switched the lightning gun and then headshotted him while he's still in the air. Like that kind of stuff. I can't get that out of any other first-person shooter that's available today, where it's just like, oh, I was playing Battlefield 3, and I was running along, and this guy who bought all the DLC shot me with the laser beam. <laughs> right. And dead. It's like, okay, great. Right. Yeah, and like shooters these days, specifically the Battlefields and Modern Warfare's and stuff, they really try to cater to an RPG element in their game. Where it's like the yeah. more you play, the better you are. So people that haven't played like 50 hours in the first couple days are screwed and they don't want to yeah. play. But yeah, Twitch shooters were all about you jump in at any time, 
you go for where the gun spawn point is and you just go to town sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's like, yeah, it's like, it's already, a, it's already the case of like, with the more you play, the better you're going to be. So why do they need to put like this artificial like treadmill in that's just like, oh, you played for four hours, have a new gun. Yeah, the carrot at the end of the stick sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I never understood that either. That's why I don't really like the multiplayer and the shooter games. I I try to go for the campaigns, but I mean they get worse and worse every time. I found worse. <laughs> yeah, because I'm not a particular huge fan of Michael Bay movies, but I will watch like the Bad Boys two every now and then, sort of thing. Yeah, but like I don't want that every year for like eight hours. So <laughs> that's I don't go for them personally much anymore either nathan are you big into shooters i don't think you are uh well i mean you know me and far cry 2 but that that's kind of its own weird thing and it does very much go for slower and simulation in a lot of ways which i thought was really neat but it's a single player campaign thing i didn't play that all the time like so but the thing with like far cry 2 is that like their their intention was to offer this brutal like realistic kind of kind of like roguelike experience, right? Where you're like, it's just like an open world and you're doing all this stuff, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that totally works for that kind of thing. But like for competitive multiplayer stuff, yeah, that's like a different story. Yeah, yeah. me and competitive, like, I guess Counter-Strike Source was a thing I was into. But Halo? I, I tried Go. Uh, Halo was more of just a party game. Like, we would meet up <laughs> and play that. Yeah. And it was fun, but I wouldn't really do much of that on my own time. Um... I I am thinking like specifically of the Infinite Ammo podcast. You guys were talking about Valve games and Left 4 Dead. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and I oh, I did play the first one quite a bit, mm-hmm. but then at some point, yeah, like two just didn't quite. I, I couldn't really describe why, but I didn't play it as much. They and then hearing you much. guys kind of really yeah. deconstruct the design of those games and Valve seeming to kind of polish the edges and make it really, really like one specific thing they want to happen. So you can't yeah. break it. Like that was that was kind of eye opening because it's just like I never really played it that way. But that's interesting that people were pushing at the edges of it, and then they weren't allowed to continue doing that. Yeah, kind of too bad. Hmm. But um, I have to listen to that episode still. That sounds fascinating. Yeah, <laughs> I used to when back in the day. I guess saying back in the day, like it was like thirty years ago. Uh, like a couple of years ago, when we were playing uh, Left 4 Dead a lot. It was like. Uh, after they patched it, and then we stopped playing for a while, and every so often someone would just say, like, a conversation would start up, and then someone would turn to me and be like, do the Left 4 Dead rant. And I'm just like, uh. <laughs> okay. I would, on, I would just go on this, like, 30-minute rampage about Left 4 Dead's design and everything. But, yeah, those, that, was, that was when I was way more into the game, and I was, like, s- still, like, kind of sour that they changed a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They added way too much, too. Like, I didn't even play the Left 4 Dead to the what's the word i'm looking for i keep wanting to say counter operative but that's a counter strike thing the death match sort of thing yeah like the the infected versus the oh the versus mode yeah the versus mode that's what it is i never played much of that because i didn't much care for it sure much but yeah i don't know like even the campaign it just felt a little off to me too i was playing it actually just last year with a couple of friends and it seemed like every five minutes there was another special infected. So the <laughs> amount of like turmoil and like fear that you would have from the first game when one came about was just kind of off put by, oh, there's another one. Now they're just kind of annoying. <laughs> but 
Yeah, like, I, oh, another tank, whatever, just get the Molotovs, let's keep going. Yeah, it's almost like, at a certain point, it's the, I'm trying to think, like, the sort of, like, uh, the ambiance of the game washes away, and all you're seeing is, like, the rules of the game. Like, you're just seeing the system, where it's just like, oh, here's a tank. Okay, the response to the tank is to throw Molotovs and then blast it with an auto shotgun. Whereas right. it's no longer the fact of, like, oh my god, there's a giant monster chasing us, this is terrifying, we're running for our lives. <laughs> right. Now, I'm wondering if maybe the problem was that they released it too close to Left 4 Dead 1, so Left 4 Dead 1 didn't have enough time to just really sink in, and then they expanded a little bit at a time or something. Maybe uh, like That was definitely the thing people were kind of jumping on right when it happened, but the critical community, community still seemed to really like Left 4 Dead 2. I don't know. I just... I, I mean, I if you have three once. other friends, then whatever. Any game with three other friends is like, I'm having fun with friends. <laughs> so you yeah. overlook the bad qualities of a game. Try playing Left 4 Dead 2 by yourself, and it's just like, uh, this is so boring. <laughs> yeah. well, I wonder how much of it has to do with just like their choice in doing like a, uh, just like an all, pretty much all daylight. I mean, every every level was like daylight or like some some form of like sun was up, and it was not really that scary. Right. It was just like, oh, it's the daytime. We're just running along, and here's some zombies. Or like the first one was all nighttime, or all like sunset, or like dusk, and it was just like, I don't know. I remember, I remember really getting into the first one for a while, and it it had like a pretty long effect on me. I'm just like, uh, like running through a level with three of my friends was like absolutely terrifying. It would yes. be like all of a sudden a boomer explodes. We have no idea what's going on, and people are getting hurt, and people are screaming because it's just like I need help over here, and we can't see them, and like that kind of that kind of moment. Like I feel like I never had that moment in Left 4 Dead 2. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I don't think I did either. I'm wondering if it's because from Left 4 Dead 1, I just got decent at playing that, like, through the slime from the boomer, and you just know, oh, I'm going <laughs> to sink back in this corner sort of thing. I don't, yeah. It's kind of hard to say, because as with any sequel, you just kind of learn the mechanics of a game from the first one, so you're naturally better, in theory, at the second one. Sure. But well, they threw in melee weapons and all sorts of other stuff. I did like the melee weapons because I like swinging a guitar and hitting people with it. So that's pretty fun. <laughs> okay. I guess what I'm saying is Left 4 Dead 2 Game of the Year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Complete 180. Okay. <laughs> guitar of the Year. Yeah, Left 4 Dead 2 Guitar of the Year. <laughs> oh, and I guess, sorry, just like in also in relation to the Valve discussions, like what you said about Portal 2 was one of like the few times I've heard someone else that was dis- like not that keen on that game like despite mm. all the you know, 90s on metacritic or whatever and everyone giving it game of the year it was just like really i didn't i don't know it just wasn't it just didn't do it yeah. right but yeah i never played the co-op campaign though which made me kind of feel like maybe i'm missing part of what people like about it but sorry i missed out on this discussion is there any way i could get a quick rundown of what the opinions were in portal 2 uh the ending cheated i guess was one of the main points i remember but yeah, yeah, a couple of the points, like, I think it was mostly, and this is totally not fresh in my mind, but, like, it, it was totally, like, a, a, just about, like, how Portal 1 as a game just felt very uh, tight and concise, and there was, like, an idea, and the idea was presented and, and executed, and then it was over. Right. And it was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, that was that was good. Yep. And then, like, Portal 2, and when I learned this, it made more sense, Portal 2 was a result of... Uh, basically everyone at Valve, or not everyone, but like a, a large uh, group of people at Valve um, after Portal came out were like, oh man, we want to work on a Portal game. And they're like, okay, well, let's just make Portal 2. And so they did with like a much larger team and a lot more people like 
you know, trying to drive the direction of it and uh, all that kind of stuff. And um, like while Portal 2 had some cool ideas and there were some definitely like I'm not going to deny that there was some fun moments in the game, but it just seemed way looser and it seemed kind of uh, like not coherent at times where they're yeah. like, they're, it's just like, why am I playing this game where I'm just looking for the white patch to throw the portal on? And why? Well, like, I don't know. It's like, I can see that they're using that for like a, a narrative device where it's like, okay, we want, we want cave Johnson to talk to you for a while. Oh. So in order to do that, we're going to have to make you go through this giant empty room with just one little patch of portal wall on it. And then you can shoot the port. And then and it's like, okay, great. But I feel like a lot of the levels in portal two were kind of like they they were not uh, like up to par with a lot of the, the content from portal one. It just kind of felt like, it wasn't, they didn't like chop stuff out. It just kind of felt like, and it felt like a bunch of people that were like, we want to make a portal game. And then they did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I could definitely see that the whole cave Johnson stuff in the caves was terrible. I couldn't stand that part, <laughs> which I like JK Simmons, but yeah, for some reason, just hearing him say stuff for hours on end and then GLaDOS <laughs> potato there. If that was that one part of the game part, really whatever. did. That was kind of the part that lost yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah, if that was one, was okay. if that was one little part instead of like a couple chapters, maybe, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. The ending stuff though was more about how, uh, in the end of the game, they are like Valve is secretly taking control away from you, uh, and you don't realize it. But um, if you play through with the commentary, there's like two instances I think where uh, the the Valve commentary is just like. Oh yeah, so some players shot the wrong portal here, which resulted in them dying and then having to go back to the checkpoint. So we forced the right portal to be fired when they click the mouse button. It doesn't matter which mouse button you fire, it'll shoot the correct portal. And that happens mm-hmm. twice in the game. And like to me that feels so dirty to like yeah. assume that I'm too stupid to complete this game and now you have you're treating me like a child that's attached to their parent by one of those like really long like curled up cables at Disneyland. Like, yeah. oh, don't run off too far. You might hurt yourself. Come back. Like, it's like, uh. Yeah, especially after I just played like six hours seeing these portal colors. I know which one's which, thanks. Right. It was like, and it's sort of like this thing where Valve, uh, I feel like, tries to eliminate all frustration from their games. And as a result, their games just become kind of like meh to me. They're just kind of like, eh, I mean, if, the, if you're not going to let me get frustrated, then what's the point? Like, if I'm not going to feel like I'm overcoming every, anything, then I, I'm not really that interested. Right. Portal 1 did do that quite well. So. Yeah, no, I, I think Portal 1 let you screw up yourself and figure it out yourself. And like the GLaDOS stuff was in the background, and you could listen to it if you wanted to. And it like kind of like wove the game together if you were just like, you know, and that's what they said. They were like, oh, we had this game of just all these puzzles, but people were kind of getting bored after like, 10 or 15 puzzles in a row. So we, when we added the voice, they felt like they had like an adversary that they that were fighting against so that they kept going and like drove them to keep playing. And that's like awesome. But then in Portal 2, it was clear that it was clear that they were like way too into the GLaDOS thing. And they're like, we're going to have all these sequences where you just GLaDOS just talks for a long time and you're just sitting there. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's why Portal 2, I mean, thank God, but maybe that's why Portal 2 didn't have their equivalent of the cake is a lie. Even though that was taken <laughs> yes. way out of Some context. Some people were really into the Animal King joke, which what? I was. Oh, the yeah, guy that was like the 
the drawings on the wall is out there. Yeah, so there's a, so yeah. the Rat Man. Rat Man, or yeah. yeah. I guess there was that too. Like there uh, was definitely some jokey stuff that I was hearing people talk about long after the game was out. That I just I don't know. It just didn't hit quite the same way. But mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Portal Two. Yeah, Portal I don't Combat know. came out that week too. That was, if that was, we talk about Valve, I think the best thing they do is Steam. So sure, I, you know i I really i I loved Half Life and like Half Life Two wasn't really that great to me, but like I really want I really want a, res- a resolution to that damn story. <laughs> I appreciate things they tried to do in Half Life Two, where like they didn't go as far obviously as um, Far Cry Two did, where they're trying to just kind of throw you in a world and stuff's going on, and you're just kind of a player in it. I, I just but, I remember I I just played Ravenholm like over and over. Ravenholm's great, but I mean <laughs> I love horror stuff, so yeah, that's the best part ever to me. Yeah. But like just know. the fact that like people will be talking in the background and you can like walk up to them, or and like there's certain key points where you'll overhear them talking about you on the con- the combine radio mm-hmm. and just stuff like that. I mean it's totally all scripted that like. As soon as you get to this vicinity, you'll start to hear it or whatever, I'm sure. But yeah. it still helped a little bit to break that illusion that you're like this world's revolving around you and you're just kind mm-hmm. of in it. But, yeah, I don't know. And then they, of course, break that completely where <laughs> with the endings and stuff where they're just like, no, Gordon Freeman is the most important thing ever. So, but <laughs> For it's some like, reason, yeah, but then it's like, but why? Is- he doesn't even know how to talk. So. <laughs> Oh wait, I think I think it was you, Kyle. Were talking about how you, whenever there was serious dialogue happening, your friends would just be like looking at Alex Vance's ass and like throwing yeah. around. Yeah, like that was, that's, that's what was yeah, that was hilarious to me. It was just like uh, I would I because I was playing through the game. And this was like when it came out and I was in college and uh, like everyone on my floor was playing through it, mm-hmm. and so like I was playing through it as fast as possible, just just like I say, I was the first one to beat it or whatever. Um, but I remember playing through like the certain scenes where it's like super dramatic and like they're talking about like what's going to happen and blah, blah, blah. And then I would go into my friend's room where he was playing it and I, I would watch him play through the same sequence where during the dialogue, he would just be like stacking boxes on like Kleiner's head and then just like going up to Alex Vance's like ass and just like clicking the mouse really fast or something. And I'm just like, you're not listening to any of this, are you? <laughs> are you talking about the scene with um, where you meet up with like the doctor and Barney? Or whatever the scientist, yeah, Barney, yeah. and first get the suit, and you're just kind of hanging out for. There's just like ten minutes of nothing. Yeah. Right. yeah, well, like there's like little stuff for you to play around with in that place. Like it's just like, hey, you can warp stuff from this point to this point. Yeah, so I was messing around with that machine until it broke and like stuff like <laughs> that. But yeah, I don't know. Just that you're kind of like, hey, sit tight. We have some dialogue we want to kind of just have happen. Seemed kind of like a weird way to relay story. I am kind of yeah. glad that it wasn't just a cutscene, though, like a lot of games do these days. So. I like Far Cry 3's first-person cutscenes. I hate oh, them. They're so <laughs> bad. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what they were trying to do with Far Cry 3 when it comes to story stuff, because the only thing you needed to do to make me buy that game is have the ability to hunt animals and like, things like happen in the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all you had to do. But why would you try to ham-fistedly throw this story in that nobody gives a shit about? Because you're trying to be Jason Brody, and Jason Brody wants to be Jason Brody, and the story wants you to kind of fight for both positions, where it's like, oh no, this is important, so this is happening, but at the same time, do what you want, only in our 
confined area. Like, it's just fucking stupid. I don't want to talk about Far Cry 3. Because <laughs> the more Kyle I talk played. about it, the more I hate it. <laughs> Kyle, if he's played Far Cry 3? or I have you? not played it. Okay. Maybe don't. Yeah. That's just a couple little <laughs> topics. Um, I, I do kind of want to try to relate this to, like, I, just before we started recording, uh, Paul pointed me towards Depict 1, which I was, I, I heard you guys talking about. Um, and I, I, yeah. Is that some sort of kind of response to kind of the child on a leash stuff? Like, listening to the game tell you exactly what to do and then um, trying to subvert it, that? Not intentionally. It was, nope. uh, like, the original idea was a sort of, like, an anti-tutorial. Um, yeah. and it just, like, as I wrote the dialogue, it kind of just became that kind of, it just kind of became like, uh, making fun of super over tutorialized games yeah. where it's just it's like spoiler alert telling you the wrong things to do. Um, and then like, you have to figure out, um, like what to actually do yourself. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of thought of it as, uh, like, I feel like games don't respect the player at all that much anymore. And yeah, figure stuff out for themselves. Kind yeah. Of, yeah. And I wanted to pick one to be like, uh, I wanted, you know, I wanted the player to feel smart and I wanted to, and like them to feel like they're actually overcoming a frustrating, you know, like adversary or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of the times in my games, like my main, one of my main, I guess, bullet points of if, if I were to have like a game making manifesto would be to respect the player and treat them as a smart person. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah. I was playing uh, Verge just before we started talking here, and um, n- at no point does it say basically that like you have to die to continue. It's just that mm-hmm. you can't do anything else. So obviously, you try to jump over this ledge or whatever into this area you can't make it to, and you end up dying. And then yeah, it's like, oh, okay. Well, now this game opened up, sort of thing. It's kind of going yeah, back to the tr- a new mechanic. Like, yeah, and going back to like yeah. the trusting the player thing or um games not trusting the player anymore it really does go back to like even the days of super mario one where the first screen was literally nothing could hit you until you moved forward Mm -hmm. a bit so it's teaching you okay like try this out move or whatever then there's one enemy it's like well i have buttons on this controller so let me try pushing one of these buttons and see what happens and then oh he jumps so i'm gonna jump over this enemy just like little things like that at no point is it like move left and right to or push left and right on your joystick to move or push B to jump or any of that stuff. Well, I don't I know where it's the... It's kind of nice with the controller because there's only like four buttons on that thing. So like it leaving it up to you to experiment. Like I found it kind of neat with Depict 1. I was like, how do I jump? And I was just trying to press different buttons. And it's like, oh, J. <laughs> I, like, I tried J as my first button, but I asked the same thing, yeah. Okay, nice. like... Like, uh, just kind of leaving it up to you to kind of not be afraid to push things and poke at it until you figure out how it works. Like, yeah, that, that's, it's kind of neat. But I, I remember you were also saying, like, in playtesting for it, it was really frustrating seeing people just kind of give up on it. Like, you're just like, oh, well, I don't know. It's broken. Well, yeah. yeah and, like, and I kind of knew that that was going to happen. Um, mm-hmm. there's actually a funny story with Verge, um, that moment you were talking about where you, you approach the, the jump and it's just like, it's just spikes below. And no yeah. matter how you jump, you're going to die. Yeah. Um, when I, f- I, th- I think it was when I first finished the game or when I updated the game, I had some people play it and give me like some feedback because I was doing like a, uh, I was just like doing like a revision of it a little bit to to like clean up the the design of it a little bit. And so this one person played it, um, and 
it was like in a form thread I posted it. And so a lot of people were giving me feedback. And then this one person posted and they were like, uh, I don't understand. Like, how are you guys getting past the second level? Like, I got to this point where there were just spikes and I couldn't figure out what to do. So I just closed it. And it's mm. just like, ah, uh, like, <laughs> like uh. he was so, like, he was so in his mind against throwing himself into the spikes. Like, like dying was, was like a much worse scenario than not playing the game. Like, or something, or something like that. It was really interesting. Um, yeah. It's like, I don't want to kill it, this little digital guy. Like, right. right. <laughs> it's not fair. And that's why, that's why there's actually a small tunnel in that area. Because it used to be just like a pit with spikes. And then your only choice was to be like, well, I guess I'm going to go down here and, and land on the spikes. Um, and then after I got that feedback from that guy, I added that little tunnel like next to the spikes. So it looks like that maybe if you jump just right, you'll make it to that tunnel, but you never will. And that's, I, I feel like that's like enough to convince like that kind of person to, to try the jump and then die. And then like that tunnel actually leads to nowhere and you can never get to it. So it's just like, it's just there to bait people into jumping into spikes. Wow. Right. So you're just like lying to them, but you need to, it's like, no, <laughs> right. I know like, better. I'm just trying to say like, come here, like come here and jump, like, try to make, try to make this jump. So, like, and, but it's like, I want to surprise them with the fact that like when you die, you actually, you go into the underworld and you can still play. Like, right. right. So it's like a good revelation. Like they're, they might be like, Oh, I'm betrayed. But then you're like, Oh wait, cool. So yeah. immediately that negativity goes away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, To be fair, I would be that guy because, like, (laughs) I have been playing games for so long that death is something that, like, when you see spikes, it's death to me. So I always try to avoid it. So the addition of the tunnel was actually a really smart one because I actually did do that where I tried to jump into the tunnel and die. Then was yeah. So (laughs) for what it's worth to that guy and to you, it was a brilliant strategy. So oh yeah, it it was his idea too. I'll give him full credit. He was like, maybe you should add something down there that, that makes you want to jump down there. And I was like, okay. Um, but yeah, what you're talking about is, is interesting too. Like you're, you've been playing games for a super long time. And so you have all these like symbols and their meanings built into your head of like, oh, spikes are bad. And one of the things I wanted to do with Depict One is like challenge that. Like all of yep. those preconceived ideas of like, oh, spikes are bad and collectibles are good and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to Nathan a little bit before we started recording here. Uh, have you ever heard of a game called Default Dan? Uh, no. Okay, so th- it's a game that came to be in a global game jam, I think, or like a local game jam in their area. A bunch of dudes met up for the first time at the game jam, and the idea was to make a game that kind of uh, subverts your expectations of video games or something like that. Like all the platforming tropes right. were kind of twisted. In a lot of similar ways to depict one, weirdly. Like you can fall through the floor and come up like come from the ceiling and stuff in <laughs> and like you it was ba- weird playing this game because it's like oh and you right. bounce off of spikes in their game but collecting oh, points will make you explode yeah uh collecting fire flowers just set you on fire which is also a mechanic because you run faster to make bigger jumps okay interesting yeah so i don't know it's just and this all came to be kind of uh somebody asked us about maybe six months ago if you were to make a mario game what would you make and one of my ideas was I would make it where every one up killed you like every, <laughs> so you would have to actively avoid coins and stuff. And then I heard about people that were already doing this concept. So made me look into that a little bit deeper, but yeah, mm-hmm. I think I it's it, interesting. Yeah. It might've been from the same game jam. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Like, like, is there enough of an audience for like really well, like people who have played games long enough to like be able to twist with like twist those expectations rather than trying to tap into this huge 
pool of people that have never played them. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I appreciate games like that, but I also feel like we're in kind of this weird niche audience where it's like, well, you were playing games since age five, right? And it's like, no, I, I don't know. <laughs> Picked up a controller until yesterday. It's like, oh, right. okay. Well, then you wouldn't understand how this how this is playing off of those expectations. But yeah, I yeah, I, I definitely couldn't like give depict one to like my dad and be like, here, play this. It's really funny, and because he'd be like, what? Like, why do I die when I hit? jump because uh, you wouldn't really understand like that it's playing <laughs> off these like this like okay I have, a, I have a friend who calls this he calls it cognitive baggage okay. like you're you're bringing cognitive baggage with you to every new experience because like it's you're all your past experience so it's like he wouldn't my dad like wouldn't understand he wouldn't have that cognitive baggage of playing you know like a bunch of platformer games growing up um so like i think the audience is like it's actually pretty big when you think about it like how many people like had a Nintendo and played Mario and you know, like how many people playing games today have been playing games since they were a kid. I think that's like a pretty large number actually, but it's um, growing like all the time. Yeah. yeah. But like, as it grows, the, the expectations also change over time. Like, uh, yeah. So it's like, I think it's fun to do like a short little game, like depict one and be like, Oh, here's this cool little thing. That's like funny to this group of you know, people that play games and have these expectations. But I don't think it would be like, I don't think I would make like a full like a game out of it, like a full like I'm going to sell this game sort of experience out of it. I didn't think you'd have enough like uh, mileage to do that. It's not your Call of Duty four, right? Right. Your annual franchise. <laughs> anyway. Um, I guess I just kind of want to like ask about other games with narrators and stuff. Like, ha- have you played a lot of like irrational games, games, or I'm thinking of Stanley Parable and like Bastion stuff like that. Uh, I played a little Bastion. I haven't played Stanley Parable, but I, I'm waiting for the new version. Basically. Okay, f- fair uh, enough. <laughs> yeah. um, I yeah. guess my main issue with that game is it just didn't account for enough stuff for it to mm. like. I, my immediate thing was like, okay, this narrator is going to try to tell me to do stuff. I'm just going to stand here, and then I did for like <laughs> ten minutes, and it never said anything about it. I was like, this game fails at doing its thing, and then I was yeah. like, fine, I'll play through or own. <laughs> But I, like I'm hoping now, like years later, they've gotten that feedback, or whatever, and they'll account for those things because that was mm-hmm. kind of a weird thing for me. But it, it definitely seems to be doing a similar thing where like the game is flat out lying to you on its face, and you're supposed to just <laughs> d- ignore what it's saying, and it'll get more and more irritated with you as you keep playing. <laughs> um, yeah. And I just started playing System Shock too because it was re released, I guess, finally digitally. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never played it before though, but it seems like. You know, it's the Bioshock people, and the thing that's telling me what to, like to do stuff. I'm pretty sure shouldn't be trusted, but I shouldn't know that yet. I think, but you know, you can't do that twist too many times before right. you're going to kind of look for it. It's also hard to make that twist work when the game came out like ten years ago. Yeah, I was going to say like, <laughs> if, I you know I wish I was in that first pool of people that that was the first place they saw it. But yeah, I, yeah, you know whatever it, it's still cool but did you play bioshock or those kind of um i did not play bioshock i played only played a demo on bioshock <laughs> okay i guess yeah about being just like man shooter campaigns just no good singularity man it's pretty good <laughs> it's fun but it's it's also kind of corny in a lot of, of ways. of course it is yeah okay but like why can't things be corny that's why i said it's fun <laughs> that's fine you also like a good day to die hard, so y- your opinion is pretty invalid, if you know what I mean. Right. <laughs> I love it, 
but whatever. We'll, we'll... <laughs> I'm trying to put you back in the rage cage. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, now, now I'm just thrown off. Hey, game jams are pretty great. Um, yeah, I agree. <laughs> Um, I, and I did see the like time lapse video of the one you created for this year's one, the heart stuff. Like, are you are you fleshing that out into a full game? Like, is that happening? Or? Uh, I am. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. <laughs> I'm trying to. It's really hard for me to make a game outside of a game gym. Uh, I'm trying to basically, I guess, flesh it out, but not not get too crazy into like the quality of the code because that's what that's what makes me go insane. Where I'm just like. I'm tr- I'm thinking t- way too hard about the best way to solve a problem, and then I end up just spending like a week thinking about the solution when I could have just coded the most basic thing in the first day, and that would have done it. Is that kind of what you were like? You were saying about snapshot, like that kind of created, like made that process longer at some points. Like you were trying to anticipate problems people would run into instead of just messing around. Yeah, yeah. I mean. For snapshot, it was like it was like really hard to just make a game where the mechanic was like, "Oh, take a photo of like the screen and then paste it somewhere." Because mm-hmm. it's like it, it's one of those things. Where it's like if you make it limitless, then the game is just total like madness. And if you put limits on it, then people when they, when people find those limits, they might not be it might not make sense to them, and it might be kind of like it might seem not fair, and that mm-hmm. sucks. Um, but yeah, like I I feel like snapshot was kind of like. Because it was like, I don't know, like the, the pipeline of making stuff for Snapshot just felt too long all the time. And so uh, it, we weren't really able to like jam out like ideas and stuff. And some of the best stuff we did in that game was jammed out for like a crazy deadline. So I just kind of wish that we did that more throughout the okay. game's development. Do you kind of you kind of thrive on that time limit and pressure or? Yeah, because when you when you have the deadline it's like you really have no choice of like I need to do this the most simple and ugly way I can because it's all I have time for. And then that just results in a lot of stuff getting done versus like, Oh, I have, you know, I have all the time in the world. I'll just think of the most elegant code ever. And then <laughs> like write this beautiful <laughs> function that takes me like a week to think of and refactor 10 times. It's like, why am I doing this? I should be yeah. making the game, not writing elegant code. Okay. Yeah. Kind of that same idea that a lot of uh, indie guys have been, and women, I guess, have been stating where it's just like it's more important to get something done and see progress than it is to make something great right away. Yeah, yeah, especially right away. Mm. But uh, what are you calling the heart game like in in your mind, or is there a name for it, or not really? It's just uh, Global Game Jam yet. 2013. Yeah, oh. it's just I, I, right now. It's just my my flash project is called uh, Heartbeat Deluxe. <laughs> That's okay. like the remake of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's all it's called right now. It doesn't have a name. Okay, I, I guess the one you went to, there's like a competitive angle to your game jam. Like there was, pro- like, they're yeah, there, there were prizes and stuff. Yeah, there was judges and prizes. Okay, I guess I don't know. Just our local one was just didn't do that, but I'm not sure if it requires a certain number of people before that becomes a thing they would do or what. But yeah, yeah. it's so. Uh, the local game jams here have been doing it for a while just because, uh, they're run through a university and they get funding through like their, some department for the game jam. Mm-hmm. So they have like X amount of money to buy food and drinks for everybody. And then they have Y amount of money for, uh, like prizes. Okay. Um, and, and it's just like, I don't know. It's, it's just an extra motivator for people to get their stuff done and submit it on time 
and all that kind of stuff. Um, and for me, like just adding like a touch of con- like a, just like a touch of competitiveness will make me work like way harder than I would normally. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Nathan, you should get some feedback on your game. <laughs> I I feel like it's mostly well. I'm not trying to like put put like push it off, but like I mean, Scott made the game, which is fine, <laughs> but. It, it, it's not bad. It's not bad. Like like we were saying earlier, where it's like it, once you get four people playing a thing, that was kind of the thing we were taking advantage of. Is like, yeah, it's horribly broken, but there's four of us messing around, so it's fun. Like that kind of <laughs> makes it work. Yeah, but yeah. No, that was my first game jam experience, and I was kind of I I really liked it, but I was very much overwhelmed by a lot of what was going on. And yeah, I'm not. I can't code at all. So I was kind of. I don't know why I was there. You slept on the floor though. <laughs> Yeah, I slept on the floor, and I was providing moral support, I guess, and finding assets on the internet. But, nice. yeah, whatever. I will, yeah, become more useful as time goes on. Cupid but, Crusade, in stores now? In, in, yep, on the site. Different now. colors, Cupid's DLC? Mm-hmm. No, they're nice. different colors right now. No, you should add more. <laughs> oh, oh, add oh. different arrows. Alright, we'll, we'll work on that free-to-play model, but... Yeah, I want royalties now for giving you the idea. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you can send them an invoice. <laughs> That's what I like. Whenever, whenever we talk about stuff in the house, whenever people are like, "Oh, like, what do you think of this?" and like, if I give anyone an idea and they're like, "Oh, that's pretty good. I think I use that," I'll I'll just say, "Yeah, like, my invoice will be on your desk tomorrow." <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, I want to go back a little bit and talk about Valve again, specifically Steam <laughs> and their Greenlight Initiative. All right. Okay. Um, All right. Let's do. <laughs> I'd, yeah, I'd like to know some of your opinions on Greenlight. Uh, like, I don't want to taint anything with my opinions yet, so I'll jump back in. But yeah, what are your opinions on Greenlight? Um, I think Greenlight right now, uh, I think it's, hmm, it's it's hard to say. Like, I think it works good in theory, but not in execution, just because like they're like they're not really fixing the problems that they set out to fix, which was the fact that they were overloaded internally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like there were people were submitting too many things and there's just too many, like there were not enough, uh, like valve, like there, there were not enough steam people per like game and all that kind of stuff. Um, cause like, I feel like that has not really been addressed by green light at all. And if anything, I kind of like, and I, I haven't experienced green light firsthand and I have not, I have not like had a game to submit to steam, uh, like, since Greenlight has appeared, mm-hmm. but I think Greenlight makes makes it harder to get on Steam than it was before, which is not what they wanted to do. Like both of well, both. I, I I'm specifically referring to Snapshot and Offspring Fling. They went through the process before Greenlight existed, like the normal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think Offspring Fling. Like okay, so Offspring Fling. Like you know that scene in Indiana Jones. Where he like slides beneath the door, his hat falls off, and he grabs his hat at the last second. Yeah, like yeah, that hat yeah. is offspring fling. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and the door is green light. The door is green about light. Slam down, and then barely made it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, was it pretty close? Like the next month or something, green light started up, or um, like, yeah, like when I when they approved uh, offspring fling, uh, it wasn't. I think either Valve had just announced that Greenlight was going to happen like a little while later, or um, they had announced like internally because a couple of, uh, I think like, I think they said to like a bunch of indie developers ahead of time, like, Hey, we're going to try this thing. 
uh, and it's going to be like this. And uh, so, like, I think maybe they had told developers uh, like that it's going to happen, or they announced it like publicly. I can't remember which one it was, but I remember like Offspring Fling was like cutting it really close because I was kind of thinking like, oh, well, maybe I'll just wait for this thing to happen. That's going to be like this voting process, um, and then if I, yeah, I'm I'm glad I didn't wait. <laughs> okay. Hmm. Specifically with Greenlight, like, what are your opinions on the idea that the public, the masses, have to vote for a game as opposed to people that know games being able to say, yeah, this will probably make money, we'll throw it up, sort of thing? <laughs> yeah. Is it better to have, like, a small group of judges or true democracy? Like, who will make better decisions? I, I kind of think it's better to have, uh, like, a small committee of well-educated people to mm-hmm. like make the decision and like i feel like if that were to be the case it would it would just be like based off the quality of the game like it wouldn't be anything about like oh well, this game plays weird or this game like has a like i don't know like has an unconventional thing that's not very fun but like it's interesting it's like it would be like is the game like playable is it a polished experience is it like a is it something that's that that is like quality enough to to be exchanged for money on our service, you know, is, is it like a cool game and, and not like, not like specifically what is the content of the game, but is, is the game overall like good, I guess, if, the, if you can even possibly <laughs> judge that, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, cause like, there's this quote that's always brought up and I can't, I can't remember like where this quote came from, but it's like, uh, it's like the audience doesn't know what they want because if they did, then they would be the creators. And I found that to be like kind of interesting to think about because it's like, I don't know, I feel like there's been lots of games that have passed Greenlight that ended up not really resonating that well with the Steam audience, and the Steam audience are the ones that voted on it. Um, and then there are games that like, I don't know, I feel like there's going to be a couple games where they were not on Greenlight, but then suddenly like they're going to take off like crazy because nobody really knew. Like it's it's kind of hard to say like, oh, here's a gameplay video of my game. Uh, do you want it on Steam? I don't know. I just saw a video of it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, there's definitely ways people are kind of like just putting their game out there for free or putting it on other services and hoping that'll kind of be able to build up enough fan base support for steam. But then that does kind of get weird. Cause it's like, well, I already bought it on good old games. So why would I buy it again here? Yeah. Know. Yeah. Like, unless you get a code at that point, but yeah. You know. Yeah. I think that, like, if you have the panel of judges as well, where they're determining what is this cool new product that they could probably sell and people would probably want, I think it's a little more conductive to, uh, conducive, rather, is the word I should have used, to uh, force people to be a little more creative rather than spend so much time in just marketing their game. Or, like, specifically, there was a game recently that Nathan and I have talked about. We won't talk about it here. But, uh... Like, depending how popular a game is in the public eye, they have a better chance usually of getting up there than a game that would actually be fun and worth money. So I think that's where I'm coming from as a consumer. Like, I just, I don't want to dig through hundreds and hundreds of games. I just want to be told what's the cream of the crop and how much it is. Well, generally speaking, what we're kind of referring to is like, we've noticed a handful of, uh, basically like just fresh off of a game jam right onto, green light for like five bucks and you're just like it's what this isn't even done yet whereas like i respect that like what you're doing with with uh 
Heartbeat Deluxe, I guess, is like <laughs> taking the time to put it back in the oven and make it something that you would feel comfortable presenting for money before just kind of putting it up there, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I see what you're saying with that. And I, I agree with that. Like, I think that way too many people are getting like, uh, over eager with green light where it's just like, Oh, I can just put this thing I made up and people, if people, if people vote on it, then like, it'll be approved for steam. And then it's like, like they, they think the first step is to be approved for steam where it's like, no, the first step is to make a good game. And that's like the hardest thing to do. Yeah. Right. So focus on that first. Uh, and like what I like about Greenlight, and it's like uh, when I was trying to get uh, Offspring Fling on the Steam, I was just sending uh, like these Valve uh, people uh, emails that was just like, "Hey, here's my game, Offspring Fling. Here's what people are saying about it," and I would just link them to reviews, and then I would like pull quotes out of the reviews and quote them in the email, and then I would say like, "Here's people asking why it's not on Steam," and I would just quote people asking why it's not on Steam <laughs> and all these articles. And I was just like, I was just like, I was just trying to like collect comments from the internet and like make them into a tangible, like, like tangible ammunition. I could be like, yo, why these people want the game on Steam? This should be on Steam. Um, and so I, I like the fact that Greenlight has like uh, a thing where you can say, yes, I want this game on Steam. Because uh, now it's like a tangible thing, uh, even if it's just like a number in the database like that's just being incremented by a person clicking a button because well usually when you when you tell people uh to like like hey like my game on facebook and follow me on twitter it's just like what are you doing it's just like these people will follow you on twitter and like you on facebook but that doesn't actually do that much in the long run yeah. it's not actually like a, it's not something that you can be like i have three thousand twitter followers i should be on steam <laughs> right, right. So, like, Steam is giving you at least Greenlight is giving you this thing where you can be like, if you want my game on Steam, click this button, and it will tell Valve that you are a person that wants my game on Steam. Yeah, I mean, I love that aspect of it as well. It's almost like an open forum that these dudes that can actually publish this game on their platform can see readily. But the problem I have is that, like, say Nathan with his legion of fans on the Krasnor Facebook <laughs> fan page or whatever. This is all facetious. There's like six. It's just like Cupid, Cupid Crusades now in green light, and then you have like a million people automatically saying this should be on Steam, and then it's on Steam for by some miracle. <laughs> this would never happen. I know, but by some miracle, it's on Steam, and then nobody buys it. It's just like even as from a business standpoint, it just seems mm. kind of okay. Let's go a little more realistic. PewDiePie has like three million three and a half million maybe even four million people on youtube that follow like his every waking move and he okay. has publicly stated that he would like to get into making indie games someday which is why he does a lot of gameplay videos of indie games so okay. the minute he throws something on Steamlight, he's gonna probably get 80 percent or whatever on Greenlight, even mm-hmm. though it's probably gonna be garbage because it'll be one of your like game jam games well because like his first time out or whatever i highly doubt a youtube guy is going to make a game that's like winning awards or anything. You never know. I hope I eat my words on that if he ever does make a game. Sure. Well, but realistically, realistically, your this first game is not going to be your best. <laughs> right. But the fact that like he has so many supporters or whatever that w- people that have this much support can taint Steam that way, it just seems like in a business perspective, even not the greatest way to go. But well, unless those fans will actually then go and buy the thing, regardless of quality, th- they'll buy it right from his site. OK, yeah, I, that is kind of a weird example, but it does tie into the whole like, yeah, there are, you know, 
it is a popularity thing at some point. And, and even even I have gone on record saying I would totally buy this and then wait a couple months because I'm broke. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you can't take people's word for it. Money speaks more than anything else. Like, so. Then just click this button and declare it. Yeah. Which is why, like, Greenlight, if maybe they had something where, like, you had to pay a dollar to, like, try a game out and then you could vote for it. Hmm. It's like you've already oh put your God. money down. <laughs> Man, those would be crazy. Like, yeah, if you're if you're the, like, actually, if the button was like, yes, I would buy this game on Steam, and that means you putting bought a dollar. It. And put, like, like, down payment on it? Or yeah, like, putting, like, a dollar pre-order payment on it. That'd be insane. Because it, it'd kind of be, like, Kickstarter at that point. But, yeah, it's, like, oh, man, it's, yeah, it's so many variables. Like, yeah. Seems just essentially just being, like, we'll put your money where your mouth is then. We're starting <laughs> yeah, 15 seriously. bucks right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, but, it, oh. like, it would be interesting if it didn't charge you until the game was, like, approved, like, Kickstarter style. Like, where, like, I you wouldn't actually be, like, charged the money. Until the game is like, guess, oh, yeah, like you, you, right. There's a certain level of more commitment. Like you're willing to pay a thing, but you might not have to, but you would. Yeah. And it, it's, yeah. But I then at so. that point, you have Kickstarter. Like pretty much, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I guess. Do you have any thoughts on Kickstarter as a model of doing stuff like um, kind of growing thing? Well, I think I don't know. Like Kickstarter is kind of scary because. I feel like there's gonna be there's gonna be like I don't know I'm I'm waiting for this implosion of Kickstarter where like right. a bunch of projects that just like are not finished because the developers are like oh actually like twenty grand is not a lot of money to make a game whoops and it's just like I don't know I I'm kind of worried about Kickstarter's future just like in the sense of like how trustworthy people are gonna be in the future with it um, right maybe that's yeah. a good thing um, like, there's a lot of goodwill right now for, yeah but it could break at any moment, right? Like if a big yeah. publicized thing just doesn't come to be. Yeah. yeah, I think Kickstarter is kind of cool, but like at the same time, I think it's way better if you are like, hey, I've made like 90% of this game and I need X amount of money to just finish it through to the end. Like I think that's like the best scenario because then people, like you have this thing that you've been working on already and you've like, that's already proof enough that you're going to finish it pretty much. Um, yeah, like I see, I see a lot of projects on Kickstarter that, it's just like, hey, we're a team of college students and we want fifteen thousand dollars to make this game, and it's just like, that is not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. But it's just like it's even scarier when they get funded, because mm-hmm. they're like, because now they're going to be in the situation where it's like, oh crap. And, I, and I'm not saying that it's, it's impossible, but like, there's gonna there's gonna be a lot of situations where these these teams are just gonna hit these points where they're gonna realize that like, the amount of money that they raised for Kickstarter is actually like not even close to enough money to like actually fund this game that they want to make or that they don't actually have the experience that they need to even be making this game. Yeah. And yeah. they've already collected the money from these people and now they're going to, you know, going to be on the wrong end of an internet hate machine if they don't finish this thing. And then it's going to be, yeah, I don't know. I feel like there's, there's, there's a lot of risk <laughs> in Kickstarter right now. Yeah. yeah. Like the one that kind of kicked it off for me was the, the double fine one, which got a lot of sure. attention. Yeah. But, like, I felt they were kind of, like, Tim Schafer in the video is kind of like, it could turn out really bad, but at least you'll be there to see it because of the documentary. So yeah. there, there's yeah, a certain sure. transparency there about, like, who knows what you're going to get at the end of this all, but you will get videos, and they've made good on that. Yeah. So it, it's been, like, that one seems kind of... They're the exception, though, to the rule. Right. Because they've been like, doing but, games for so long, like, Tim Schafer himself, when he sees a million dollars, he sees exactly the type of game he can make. Yeah. So 
like, but yeah, like then you have, have like, like the FTL guys who probably like went into it thinking this will be enough. And then while they were making it, even though they made a great game that I love, they were probably like, oh, shit, we probably should have asked for a little bit more or something. Yeah, but then they, they were lucky that they I mean, they weren't lucky. They made a great game that that, you know, <laughs> resonated really well with people. But like their Kickstarter took off like crazy. So it was like they, they like they, they asked for like 10,000 and they got 200,000 or something like that. Right. Like, right. it's like, yeah. So I can't even like that's the thing. That's another thing. Right. It's just like. If I was working on that game and that was me in that position of like <laughs> that Kickstarter, I'd be like, holy crap, this is way too much pressure. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just like, I'd be so screwed. On the plus side, you work better under pressure, you said, so maybe it would be great. You know, you know yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe I would do okay, but like to me right now, that seems terrifying. <laughs> Have you played a lot of FTL? Uh, I haven't. Um, just haven't gotten around to it yet. What are some but, games you've been playing I've just been interested in? Uh, well, let's see. The last major game I played was the new Devil May Cry. Um, Did you like it? Uh, yeah, I thought it was okay. I didn't really play any, any of the previous Devil May Cry, so I don't really have any like weird opinions on Dante or whatever. Okay. I'm just kind of like, oh, cool, it's a game where you beat up stuff. Like, I actually thought it was... Like, I actually thought the combat was pretty good. Um... Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really funny how it uses every single button on the Xbox 360 controller for a different purpose. Yeah. I feel like I'm still learning how to play the game, and I'm, like, on my second playthrough of it. <laughs> uh, did um, you play a lot of Ninja Theory stuff before that, like Enslaved or anything? Or No, not at all, actually. I haven't, You know what? I think I want to say Devil May, this Devil May Cry is probably, like, my first 3D beat-em-up game I've played. Okay. What was it that drew, it, drew you to it, I guess? Like, um, well, I, I have a friend who's working on a beat-em-up game uh and he plays a lot of beat-em-ups and like breaks them down and analyzes them and stuff and he was playing devil may cry like the day it came out at his at his house and uh i was watching him play and i was like no this is actually pretty decent like just like the animation and like the actual like fighting just seemed like it was really good and it seemed Mm -hmm. like it it seemed like it was better than uh, most of the time i'd see footage of a 3d beat-em-up and like (laughs) I feel like people out there that would know like 3D beat-em-ups really well I'm, like really mad at me because like I haven't played a 3D beat-em-up until this game, but uh, I don't know. Like it, it just seemed it seemed really appealing. Just like like when like when you hit stuff, there's like the right amount of like of like the freeze frame where the hit like hits and the enemy like loses some particles and then it's like the I don't know. It just seemed really responsive and fast and yeah I don't know something about that just drew me in. So I I bought it on Steam when I got back okay. to my house. Okay. Yeah, um, I still have yet to play it, but the thing I, I do hearing the, more and more good things. But well, the thing I like about Devil May Cry has always been the mechanics and the movement and the fighting and stuff, which apparently is all better and there. But I just don't like the aesthetic at all. Of the yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty Unreal Three Engine. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I like like is that like a developer terms for like garbage? That's like no, your slang. It's pretty un. It's pretty like Unreal. I'm assuming it's, that it's not extra pop in and stuff, or what are kind of the. Well, it's it's not that it's garbage. It's not that. It's just like there's a certain look that like games made in Unreal Three Engine have, mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of hard to describe. But it's just the way that the engine like shades things and the way that lighting works in the engine, and you, it's just like I felt like a lot of the times there's there's a lot of like grappling stuff in Double Make in this one where it's just like you have like a grappling hook and you can like grapple from place to place and. It just felt like I was playing 
like the Batman, like the Arkham City game, like yeah. all over. Like it, it felt like the exact same game. I was just like, oh, I'm a super buff dude grappling to this thing, and it looks like the Unreal Three Engine. Like, yeah. Um, but I think Devil May Cry, like they actually like push, they actually push a lot of boundaries with with like as far as like the visuals go, and there's lots of like awesome, awesome uh, art styles and stuff in the game. Yeah, I should really look more into that, but I don't know. Games are just so damn expensive. I want yes. one I can chew into for a while. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I we're we're like, I guess transparency. We're recording on, like Metal Gear Rising just came out. Yeah, I'm hearing it is extremely short, but oh. it's good. Yeah, but it's. <laughs> You know, like it's just kind of that weird thing. It's like, well, I want to play it eventually. And we have no rental places up here. Not anymore. Yeah. No. So you're kind of stuck. I guess unless it shows up in Redbox or whatever, but yeah, that doesn't happen often. No, like they in two months like we'll see it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's like yeah. we're in some third world nation or something. Well, Canada. <laughs> so essentially, mm. yeah. The blockbuster down the street from me finally, finally uh, died. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at one point, I used to work at the blockbuster down the street in my neighborhood, nice. but then it died. So, yep. Well, this is <laughs> really depressing. Yeah, sweet. Um, hey, I j- I kind of wanted to ask about your experiences with uh, indie bundles, like the okay. yes. I guess there's the humble bundle and the Royale bundle. I believe both featured your games um, yep. in the relatively recent. Uh, does that like how how does that work out for you as the developer? Like, is it mostly going to charity? Like, do you see much from that? Or is it just, you know, getting exposure and whatnot? Like, what is, how has that been? Uh, well, those are, like, exposure and sales are the two biggest things. Or it's like, um, as far as Humble Bundle goes, um, like, Royale doesn't give anything to charity. That's just, like, a developer thing. Um, but oh, Humble okay. Bundle, uh, Humble Bundles, uh, so basically, when you look at the uh, the splits, for the charity and the developer, like if you scroll down to where you actually like buy the bundle, there's like, uh, there's like people are doing at large kind of yeah yeah so like the default sliders so like there's like the sliders that are like oh I can give this much to charity I can give this much to developers like uh I'm a, like a vast majority of people do not change those sliders so oh, okay. you can basically guess like how much has gone to charity and how much has gone to the developer like et cetera et cetera just based off the default sliders um. And then Indie Royale doesn't, that's just like straight up to the, like, it's like some portion goes back to the people that organize the bundle. The bundle. Yeah, and yeah, the rest yeah. is divided out. Is it hard to get your yeah, uh, games I in? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, well, I, I don't know, I feel like I got lucky. <laughs> uh, because Indie Royale contacted me really early on. And I kind of, I was kind of like, well, the game kind of just came out, so I don't want to do a bundle for a while. Uh, so I kind of did a rain check with them, uh, and then I ended up emailing them around like before Christmas, being like, hey, if you guys are doing a Christmas thing, I'd like to do that. Um, so I, I already had the in of they contacted me first when I released the game, Offspring Fling, that is. Um, mm-hmm. And then for Humble Bundle, like it's kind of surreal to me still that snapshot and offspring fling run humble bundle. Like it doesn't make any sense to me at all in my brain. Um, <laughs> we were at PAX and, uh, it's like, I kind of knew, uh, the guys from Wolffire before they started humble bundle. Uh, and like, I met him at GDC and we were just kind of like, I guess, uh, 
not really like close friends, but you know, Facebook friends. <laughs> Uh, okay. so I kind of knew those guys, I kind of knew those guys from DC and they knew who I was and who they were. And we kind of, we talked a couple times. Um, so, uh, we were at PAX and this past like PAX over the summer and, uh, uh, one of them, like this guy, Will from, from Humble Bundle came up to us at Snapshot, at the Snapshot booth and was like, Hey, uh, so this, like we had just released Snapshot. So he was like, Hey, so Snapshot's finally out. And we're like, yeah. And he was like, we should talk about Humble Bundle. We were like, okay <laughs> like are you serious like holy crap like we couldn't believe that we were being approached by humble bundle mm-hmm. um so we we're like yeah awesome and then uh we started talking to them more about snapshot specific stuff after packs and uh just sort of like what we'd want to do and like how we would want to time it out you know like when we want to do it um and then at the same time I just straight up, like, I was like, oh, crap, if they're emailing, if they're, if they're talking to us about Snapshot, I should just, you know, pitch them Offspring Fling for Humble Bundle. So I just emailed them, and I was just like, hey, so Offspring Fling is a pretty cool game, and you should put it in Humble Bundle. And they were like, sure, let's talk about it sometime. And I was like, okay. Uh, and then we talked about it, and then it kind of seemed like, uh, uh, it kind of seemed like it wasn't going to happen for a while, as far as, like, Offspring Fling goes, because I didn't really hear from them for a while. Uh, and then... Uh, like right, it was. I feel like it was right before uh, the actual bundle launched, like Humble Bundle Seven. Uh, they emailed me back and they were like, "Hey, so do you want to be in this upcoming bundle for Offspring Fling?" And I was like, "Uh, yeah." And then I had to make a Linux version like in a day. <laughs> oh. And and then like so, I was like finishing the Linux version and like uploading it and emailing it to them. And then I flew home for for Christmas, <laughs> like the next day. <laughs> um so yeah that was like it was absolutely insane uh yeah so that's like pretty much the story and then the humble bundle launched and like i kept waiting for this i don't know like for some reason in my mind i just kept waiting for them to respond and be like oh sorry we had to bump you out because of some other game or whatever you know i just kept waiting for that for that email and i didn't believe it until the humble bundle actually like launched and my games like the icons were there and they were like okay. live and stuff like huh it's pretty crazy that's a that's a pretty important spotlight. That's yeah, yeah. That was cool. Yeah, it's um, crazy how big humble bundles have gotten too. Yeah, yeah. it's insane. <laughs> All right. Um, like I'm just gonna throw this out there. I don't know if it's weird because it's kind of like picking what friends are your favorite or something. But are there any <laughs> other indie games or developers or something that you look up to and admire and maybe a little competitive with, like? Oh well, he did this, so I gotta make a game that's a little bit better. Anything like that? <laughs> uh, well, you know, I love all my indie friends. Uh, I would say there's a couple of people that make games I think similar to how I want to make games, and uh, and I look up to them in various ways. Uh, mm-hmm. One is uh, let's see, how am I gonna say his name? So it's spelled Konjak, but I think he pronounces it Konyak. Okay. Yep. Uh, but jo- Joachim Sandberg, yep. um, that guy is awesome, and like he's one of my he's one of my good friends. Uh, like in the indie scene, he's a pretty cool guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of his games, like uh, like the original Noji Love and Noji Love Two, um, and just like all like like Legend of Princess, those are those are pretty big inspirations for me. Just like, um, just as far as like, oh man, like. Like just like the fact that this game is like a finished game and it's like totally super well executed and like really up my alley. Like as far as like action platforming goes, like that kind of stuff really inspires me. Just because it's just like, well, he made a game, so I can make a game just like this too. Like you know, I can finish my games. 
Um, and then uh, there's another there's another uh, I call him an indie kid because I think he's like 19. Uh, Bo Blith, who okay. is in the IGF. He's in the IGF this year for Samurai Gun. Okay. But uh, he makes he's been making like super amazing action uh, platforming multiplayer games, and Samurai Gun is one of those. Um, he made a game called Zero Space for the uh, Take Source multiplayer competition. Um, and so yeah, he makes like super awesome action games and kind of has the same the same vibes in his games that I want to kind of have. Um, and let's see, the studio that made Dust Force. Uh, Hitbox Studio. Yes, yeah. Those, those guys are super cool. They make like Dust Force is is right up my alley as far as games goes. And like their next game is coming up, which is like they're saying it's like a Quake One roguelike game. I'm just like, holy crap, that sounds amazing. And so like they're they're kind of like making games that I would also like to make, but it's just like awesome. They're making this game. It means I don't have to make it. Right. <laughs> they're probably gonna do a way better job than than I would. Because um, like they've been posting screenshots and stuff every so often, and it looks really really awesome even though even though they like they've just started out um so is there kind of like a hive mind thing going with like indie devs where it's like all these guys made this game so i don't have to like we won this is out there (laughs) oh you mean is it like a race to make a game no like is it like another indie dev made this game that i would have loved to have made but the fact that like i'm friends with them and we're all part of this kind of like subset of uh popular gaming right now and it's out there under their name, that's enough for me? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, it kind of depends what your motivations are. I mean, for me, I feel like a lot of times I make, I'm just making a game that I want to play. So it's like if somebody else makes that game, then I don't need to make it because now it's just like, oh, I'll play this game. I, I don't know. It's like a, a game, like in, in their game specifically, it's like a Quake 1 roguelike. So like a game that like it plays like Quake 1. So like also like trick jumping and like all that kind of stuff. And super fast-paced, like, FPS controls. Like, if I were to sit down and make an FPS right now, it would be a lot like Quake 1 around your tournament, right? So mm-hmm. it kind of feels like a game that I would play. So it's like, they're kind of just like, I don't know, it's it's, it's weird. Uh, I remember, like, when Dust Force came out. They came out, like, on Steam, like, just a little bit before Offspring Fling did. Mm-hmm. And they had lots of similar stuff in it, like leaderboards and replays and all that kind of stuff. And then I released, like, my level editor and like level and replay sharing and then like they did the same exact thing like a week before and it was like it was really weird that uh like we were kind of like doing the same like like a similar thing with our games um i think they did a way better job than i did though so (laughs) (laughs) it's it's kind of like i don't know i i make games i want to play so if somebody else makes a game that i want to play then that's that's awesome regardless if they're if i know them or if they're indie or whatever yeah either way you won because there's a game out there that you want to play Yes, yes. The, the goal has been obtained that there's a game that I want to play. Right. Hmm. I guess I kind of want to backtrack briefly to, like you were saying, everyone else in the indie house uses Unity. What is it you're primarily using? Like, just out of curiosity? Uh, I'm using Flash right now, and more specifically, I'm using Flashpunk. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I kind of wanted to just generally ask about, like, 2D versus 3D. Like, have you ever considered doing a, like, 3D kind of thing, like you were just, just talking about shooters and whatnot. Like just for me, like I, my kind of thing was like the art style in 2D is it's so much easier to kind of like or not easier necessarily, but it lasts longer somehow. Like it can, it just has a look to it, whereas mm-hmm. old 3D can look really kind of chunky and kind of bad <laughs> pretty quickly. Like we've been playing some old N64 games as part of a different thing we do, 
And it's, okay. just, it's kind of hard to go back and just kind yeah. of realize like, wow, yeah. what? Like 10 year old me thought this was really good. Uh, all right. Like just the frame rate and everything and the colors and whatnot. Like, yeah. I don't know. Have you, have you thought about trying to do 3d models and whatnot at some point, or is it just such a weird kind of, you know, like that's still where the arms race of better and better graphics is still kind of raging. Right. Whereas 2d seems to have, you can kind of find your own thing and look and it'll look good five years from now. I guess part of this is I, we've been playing Aquaria recently too, mm-hmm. and it still looks fine and it's yeah. five years old. But it doesn't really matter. So yeah, I don't know. Sorry, yeah. is that too general? Three <laughs> D versus two D. What, what do you think? I don't know. Uh, well, so the last time I tried to do three D anything was when I was in college, and it was just like part of my curriculum. And mm-hmm. at that point, like I mean, I we were using like Maya, and uh, like I don't know, like trying to do three D uh, is it was incredibly frustrating for me uh, because like Maya itself is like a behemoth of a software uh, package, I guess. And I was so like confused and overwhelmed at all times uh, that I had no idea what was going on. And basically every one of my 3d assignments was just like a total, uh, I don't know, like I just did the bare minimum to just get by. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of have like a bad taste of 3d still. Um, and I don't know if I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I'll enjoy it. And I, I don't know if, uh, I'll be able to like, cause I, I like doing all the stuff myself. I, I like doing the art and the code and the design and everything. So, um, I would probably want to do the same in unity or any 3d thing. So I kind of feel like I would not be able to really execute that well on 3d artwork. Right. Um, cause you're a traditional yeah. artist, right? With the, yeah. like drawing yeah. and painting sort of thing and whatnot. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Most like, yeah, mostly I would say it's like, it's like that thing where, uh, and like, I think every creative person goes through this process, but it's like, as far as like 3d stuff goes for me, like my taste in art and my taste in like games, uh, is like, it's, it's, it's been developing over the past, like how many years I've been playing games. Right. So if I start doing 3d now, I'm starting 3d from scratch now. And that means yeah. I'm going to be making complete garbage for a long time. And to me, it'll look like complete garbage because my taste has already been developed so much where it's like if I started 3D when I was like in high school, then I would be like, oh, man, everything I'm making is amazing because I don't know any better. And like <laughs> I wouldn't be so demotivated <laughs> or frustrated. Um, so, yeah, it's just tough to get over that hurdle of making stuff that you know is bad, but you have to make it anyway because that's the only way to get better. Right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of weird that you it's it's essentially starting from scratch all over despite having all this experience elsewhere like those don't transfer easily. Right, and I'm looking at your drawings right now. You did a great picture. I love of Toph from oh, Avatar. Nice. <laughs> so, big fan of that. So, yeah. are you a big fan of Avatar? I'm guessing. Um, I'm yeah. I know I like Avatar. Uh, I wouldn't say like I'm a big fan, but I actually did. I I did that drawing as an like, experiment on DeviantArt. I was like, I was like, I bet I can make something that gets way more favors and views than all of my other stuff, and it will be a <laughs> fan art of Avatar. One of the girls. <laughs> Yeah, and my theory was correct. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, that, that's, that's like my most popular. Bad. That's my that's my most popular uh, piece of art on DeviantArt, like my DeviantArt gallery by far. Uh, but yeah, no Avatar. Avatar is cool. Um, I like that show a lot. You should have just drawn Sephiroth if you wanted views on DeviantArt. <laughs> yeah, Would that draw, still work. Or? I don't know, man. 
like I think maybe Sephiroth has a pony that worked pretty good. <laughs> that would be amazing. I think that's been done. No, it's been done for sure, man. Yeah. Have you been to DeviantArt lately? No, Everything I, I can't say. Has I been converted into a pony. Uh huh. That I can. I can. <laughs> he can attest true. to that. He's a he's a brony. So <sighs> I like shows. Just... Pony people. Great. You're a pony person. Hey man, that's cool. That's cool. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um. Hmm. On the train guess... of Avatar, did you see that movie? Uh, uh what movie? The Shyamalan. Okay, yeah, no, no. Film? He, yeah, okay. that's the right answer, I think. There is no movie in Bossing Say. Right. Oh, sorry. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I we... came at it from like I didn't see the show at all, so just like whatever. Just so then, yeah. so the answer was yes for you, Nathan. Yes, I've seen that. Are there Wanna any movies ask... you are into? Yeah. Uh, any movies I'm into? Like lately, or just as a general rule, I watch this movie every couple months, sort of thing. Oh well, for a while that was Independence Day. Nice. I, I watched that like my my rate of watching that has decreased as I've grown older. But I used yeah. to watch that movie like once a day when I was a kid. Yeah, <laughs> I was so weird. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, I think. I mean, I I only see like really like triple a movies uh if you could call them that it's like the avengers and wreck it ralph was pretty cool and you know just like the, the typical stuff i don't really go to the movies so often okay right i guess like this is kind of in service of a question like where like do you go to other media for inspiration or is it just other games or films or music or is it just like i don't know like like you seem to kind of take that game jam kernel of an idea like that quite often mm. but is there other ways that you come by ideas for games uh i don't know this is one of the things i have to work on i think like when i when i look at myself as a game developer like oh what do i need to improve on it's like oh i need to i need to like consume more things that aren't games to okay. better myself because like uh right now it's like pretty much my inspiration is pretty much from other games or like uh like i, I would i would say music just because like uh, when I do listen to music, I like style things a certain way depending on what the song is or like what the songs are I'm listening to, and like I work in a certain way just depending on the music. So I think music probably has a big factor into it, but I'm not really like super conscious of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, most of my inspiration for games comes from other games and like uh, just like playing, yeah, just just playing games growing up. Just like all those experiences of just playing games and having that mold into what I like about games and what things I like in games and trying to make games that have those elements in them. Right. Um, I guess just finally, I guess I, I, is there like a earliest like gaming memory that was really profound? Like a game that's kind of was the first one where you decided like, this is, this is extraordinary. (laughs) Uh, well, let's see. There's, I think there's like maybe two major ones. Like the first, my, my earliest one. Okay. Well, actually my, my earliest games like memory is playing uh rad racer on nes okay. and like i just play that all the time even though i was terrible at it because i was a kid and i just never got past the first level because uh, <laughs> i was running out of time because i crash all the time um but i just love playing that game even though i wasn't making any like real progress in the game i just love playing it for some reason um and then i also on the nes i played a game called super dodgeball and oh, okay that was the first game I actually like sat down and got really good at, and like I kind of scared my 
parents to how good I was at a game when I was like, I don't know, like five or four or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whenever that game came out, um, because I could play through the entire game on the hardest difficulty and not take a single hit. And they'd be like, what? Oh my God. Cause my, my dad understood games enough at the time to like understand that, that was like pretty crazy. And then if we ever played versus mode, I would like dominate anybody <laughs> in my neighborhood. <laughs> uh-huh. But so that was a pretty big, like, I don't know. That's a pretty important like game in my life. Super dodgeball. Um, but then probably I, th- I think I'm, I'm most inspired by like super Metroid on the super Nintendo. Oh, okay. Just because that was like, like that game took me like a month to beat with like my neighbor and yeah. we would just, we would just kind con- we would just, we would just get home from school and be like, all right, we're going to play super Metroid until our parents tell us it's time for dinner or whatever, or we get in trouble or something. And it would just be like, cause we didn't have any guides or, but we didn't have like the, the walkthrough book or whatever, or the Prima strategy guide or anything. Yeah, like that. Yeah. We, didn't have, we didn't have internet to look up stuff. It was just like, we had the instruction manual, which I would read over and over again, like thinking that it was going to give us a hint for some area. <laughs> and then like, we were, we were just exploring, we were just exploring the world and trying to find secrets. And like, we were like drawing out maps and like trying to remember like where we saw stuff and like taking notes and all this. It was just like an amazing experience for like the month that it lasted. Yeah. Uh, and then like finally defeating that game, like finally, like I remember when we when we finally found the the space jump, it was the most yeah. amazing thing in the world because we had been reading about the space jump in the instruction manual for like two weeks. Yeah, and we're like, oh my god, it's the space jump! It's so amazing. <laughs> uh, like now we can go anywhere. And yeah, it was, it was awesome. Yeah, huh. it was like, my- like just that's been something I've been trying to kind of like. I've been playing the first Metroid recently and like uh-huh. trying to trying to do it in kind of my own self imposed bubble where I'm not going to go to the internet for stuff. Just mm-hmm. to kind of try to get that again, because yeah, it the internet and being able to just look up stuff has kind of ruined a lot of that discovery. Like we were talking about Zelda two as well, mm-hmm. and just like how that game was just this baffling mystery when you first played it, but then eventually it's just like ah, you could just go and check game facts and there was a giant spider way. in the road, dude. How was I supposed yeah. to know you use a flute that you got in this castle to make him go away? <laughs> like yeah, that kind of. That whole type of, like, you know, having to bust out the notebook and take down notes and draw maps, like, that kind of stuff. I Like, Fez maybe captured part of that, but in its yeah, kind of weird. Yeah, Fez was all about that experience. Yeah, and it's just, it's kind of weird that, like, in, an, in another way, like, we've been got, gotten, we've gotten so used to kind of having things served up to us or just looking up stuff on our own to kind of subvert that. But if you just let the game frustrate you it becomes more rewarding somehow. So yeah. yeah, no, it's definitely true. Like if you just allow for some frustration, then it feels way better when you overcome it. Like old adventure games used to take forever because we wouldn't look up stuff. Yeah. So <laughs> you have to figure out that, you know, in day of the tentacle, you got to put the wine in the time capsule and then go to the future and then you have vinegar. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. At the time that was just totally baffling and we would just, try other stuff for like a couple hours oh adventure game logic yeah, yeah I, but i mean it's kind of like there was still kind of the experience of like if if the internet was super slow and you could only get it for a couple minutes at a time that's kind of what it felt like sometimes because it would be like when i was when, when like link to the past came out it was like you know i would talk to like 10 people at my school every morning and they were in different classes than i was so i only saw them for those those like 15 minutes in the morning so it's like okay we had to we had to all come together and talk about Link to the Past and talk about where we are. What it's like a like how do we figure out this part? Like it was just like this combined thing of just like 
of how to get to the next dungeon or like what to do in this one room to get a heart piece. And it was sort of like game facts, which is like much slower and more disorganized. Uh, because like huh. one person would know at least like at least one person would know how to get that thing. And then I would know how to get something that nobody else did. And then we just all sort of like combine our knowledge. And then we all go home from school that day and then like play for another two hours or whatever, and then go come back and do it again. That's yeah, that's interesting. Just like that kind of everyone's doing their own single player adventure, but you're able to kind of collaborate in some weird way to yeah. figure it out. Like I'm, the only thing I compare that to is kind of like the Demon Souls, Dark Souls thing, where everyone's kind of working together as a group to defeat this super crazy thing. Yeah, way harder than it ought be, maybe. But you're kind of the community aspect of it with the online ghosts and everything kind of helps you through that. But I've yet to really devote serious time and attention to those. But they seem <laughs> interesting. Yeah, yeah. But, it just always seemed like it was. It, it it always seemed like it was the intention that people would be talking about the games. You know, like even though like I only played Super Metroid with my neighbor, I mean that was enough that we had that I had like another another pair of eyes on the screen. They'd right. be like, Oh, did we look up there yet? And I'd be like, Oh no, we didn't actually and then or it'd be like just like there oh, man, this is actually it that ties into this weird effect that I see happen at like PAX and GDC and stuff where um and this happens especially in offspring fling and snapshot I've noticed where the person playing the game uh will not fi- like the person playing the game for some reason is much slower at solving the puzzle than the spectators. And I mm-hmm. cannot figure out why this is, but it's like the spectators will always, almost like 95% of the time, solve the puzzle way faster than the actual player. And, and so, like, that was sort of the effect going on for Super Metroid, where if, like, I was, if I was actually, like, controlling Samus and jumping around and stuff, then my friend would be the one that points out, like, like, oh, we haven't gone there yet, or we haven't, like, we should check that room, or we should, like, we should do this thing. Like, he was always the one calling it out. And if he had the controller, then I was always the one calling it out. So it's some weird effect where it's like your brain processing, just even moving the, the even just moving the avatar around the world is like taking away precious brain cycles of you trying to figure out puzzles. Right. Yeah. Like too much of your attention is focused on that, and then you yeah. can't take in the whole environment enough to get past certain obstacles. How would you guys like determine who's controlling it? Because I was always like getting the guy sitting on the couch getting more and more frustrated and wanting to just <laughs> take the controls. So I, uh, I don't know if I would be helpful in this scenario or not. <laughs> but. Well, I think I was I was the one that always fought all the bosses. Okay. Like I was I was I had I had more like platformer dexterity, so I was the one that always like if there was like a big fight coming up or there, if there was like too many enemies in the room, then the controller would be tossed to me, or if it would just be like, honestly, it would never really like be a problem because one of us would eventually just be like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna read the instruction manual about this part or something, or I'm gonna like look up the same about this item. And then we would just have to switch the controller that way. Mm. So, like, one person could start, like, reading the instruction manual or, like, just, like, looking at our notes or looking at our map or something like that. Okay. Huh. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm out of things to talk about. So there you go. <laughs> okay. Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> I don't really know how to take that, but thank you but for taking I, it. I meant it as in a way as we've covered everything that you want to cover, and that is a mission success. Okay. okay. I took it as oh, like, yeah. thank God he's going to shut up finally. No, no, this, this has been a lot of fun. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, Snapshot, Offspring Flame, you can find it on Steam. You can find it, well, I mean, if you've got it in the Humble Bundle, you obviously have it already. I think... Uh, <laughs> Here at Pixel Response, we still have a few codes we could give out to people, maybe. I'll have to check the hopper here. But, uh, Kyle, 
where can people get a hold of you? Um, well, uh, I talk about stuff on my website, kpolv.com, and I'm on Twitter, just uh, at Kyle Pulver. If you, if you tweet at me, I will most likely respond. Um, or you can email me on my web. I think there's like a contact form on my website, or you can, you can shoot an email to hello at offspringflame.com, and I'll get that as well. And what's the name of the Indie House podcast? Like, uh, I believe it's IndieGameHouse.com. I should check that okay. right now. <laughs> okay. And that's presumably available on iTunes? I, or no? Not yet. We haven't done okay. the iTunes hookup yet. But, um, okay. So go download those. Do you guys yeah, do live streams or anything? Or no? Uh, we want to. Like, We eventually okay. want to start just live streaming on Twitch when we, uh, when we record it. But uh, okay. right now they're just streaming streaming uh, like audio files on the website, or you can download okay. the MP3. Okay. Awesome. So check that stuff out. And right on. Yeah. So thanks for joining us. yeah, thanks for taking time out. And people should be playing your games if they're not. Go do it now, guys. We'll see oh, you everybody next time. Picked one as well. That's on Newgrounds. You can. It's. It's right there. But okay. <laughs> <laughs>